Hey everyone, welcome to my show, my so-called fabulous. I'm Tiffany Blackman. It's great coming you to you today, and we're doing something a little different today. Actually, a lot different today. We are coming to you from our studio, of course, but I have my very first guest. I think we're almost to episode 60 now, but my very first guest via Zoom. So we knew this would possibly happen, this virtual world we're in, and we're going to talk to Kevin about that. But Kevin Nahai, all the way from Los Angeles, California, welcome, welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It's great to be here. I feel very honored to be your first COVID era uh, Zoom guest. That's exactly it. Time to set it up. (laughs) That's exactly it. Can you believe 2020? I mean... You're in California, so what's going on? We are in the first part of 2021. What's going on out there? Oh, it's absolute madness over here. Is it? Um, You know, I've got a lot of friends throughout the country, and usually I'm always telling them, you know, come to L.A. There's so much to see here, so much to do here, stuff like that. The last year I've told all my friends, hey, you know, I miss you, I love you, but don't come here. Don't. It's it's crazy. It's It's not safe. You know, it's it, things have just stuff has hit the fan over here, to is, say the least. It is. So, unbelievable. How are you doing? We're doing well. Um, we are being extremely careful. Um, we are not shut down. We, of course, we we're doing everything our, our local and national government tells us to do. Um, I have the antibodies. My family and I, we went through covid prior to Thanksgiving. We've recovered. We're just being careful. We're just, you know, and um, my husband is 100% on board with a vaccine. I'm up in the air, you know, every, it's a very personal decision, but um, I have a friend that just moved back to California in Sonoma. And she's like, I think this week they just were let up a little bit um, on their stay at home. So it's kind yeah, of- they'll be, they'll be letting up a little bit starting this Friday. Um, but that, you know, we already did that three times. This will be, I think, the third or fourth time that we let up. So I hope we don't have to shut down again now that we have the vaccine and hopefully people will be taking it, you know, and that will create some immunity. But anyway, yes, you know, is what I've, it is. I've managed to maintain my sanity throughout this whole thing because for most of my life, I was a control freak <laughs> and this kind of thing would have completely driven me off the edge. But you know, in, in recent years, I've really learned how to manage my own anxiety and not try to control every little thing and just, just focus on what is within my power. So a lot of people that I know, this has just, you know, destroyed their mental health and the social isolation. And I mean, of course that's had a a big effect on me too, emotionally, but I'm, I, I think that considering the circumstances over here, you know, I've been healthy, thank God, but I've also done a pretty graceful job of maintaining my sanity. Exactly, exactly. And let me introduce you as a fabulous motivational speaker. I have watched you speak. I've listened to you speak. I've watched you on Instagram and I've listened to several of your podcasts. You um, have quite an incredible story. And of course, you're a motivational speaker and you're also a coach, your personal coach as well. I want you, if you don't mind, to, because I connect with you on so many levels, and you're certainly not my age, I'm 56, you're much younger than I am, but you are a millennial, and um, I listen to you and your life of anxiety. I myself had an eating, have an eating disorder. I don't think I ever 
you know, my mind, it certainly doesn't go away. I think about it often, but anxiety. So back us up. Let's just kind of get your history because you, where, where your anxiety came from, because you said as a child, you had a lot of anxiety. Yeah. As, as a child, I had massive anxiety. I grew up in a home with very loving, but extremely demanding parents, you know, who had very, very high expectations academically and behaviorally. And I was a total class clown and didn't really care about school when I was young. So I was constantly getting in trouble, you know, which kind of created like this, this shame cycle and created a lot of anxiety to live up to their expectations and live up to my siblings who were doing a good job and so forth and so on. Um, you know, most of my life, I, I lived believing that I was just pretty stupid um, because I had always gotten in trouble and I didn't apply myself in school and stuff like that. And then at the end of high school or, you know, I guess halfway through high school, I started applying myself and I ended up becoming the valedictorian. Oh, no, you're yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was in college, you know, I got I had a 4.0 for all five years of college. And then I got into this really difficult graduate school program. So I, I, I recognized that I was smart, um, but I didn't know that until I was like 17 or 16. I thought that I was pretty dumb. Um, but anyway, I digress. It, it, you know, the, the most difficult part of my life was between ages 19 and 24. Um, when I was 19, I was diagnosed with um, an incurable disease. And I fell into a very deep depression and I was hospitalized for months and I had all of that crippling anxiety that I had as a kid. It all came back um, as a result of all of this emotional trauma and the disease and not making friends at college and just isolating myself and studying all the time and trying to pretend like I was perfectly healthy. Um, I developed severe anorexia. I was anorexic for two to three years. I am five foot nine and I was 112 pounds. Wow. Which wow. is, you know, less than, than most of my ex-girlfriends. Exactly. You know? Now back up, Kevin, do you mind telling us what, what the diagnosis was, the disease? Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease. Oh my yeah. gosh. At 19. The stomach and I, I couldn't eat anything for months. I couldn't keep it down no matter what I tried. So my eating disorder didn't start as an eating disorder. It started as a physical ailment, but I started to associate food with pain. And I thought if I eat, I'm going to be in pain. So I just better not. And then, you know, I had all of this trauma um, at the time. And, you know, you mix a physical ailment with emotional trauma and it's breeding ground for some sort of emotional disorder, whether that is an addiction or an eating problem or you know, whatever it may be, it's, it's kind of like when somebody goes to the doctor because they have chronic back pain and they get prescribed opiates, you know, but they have emotional issues that they haven't addressed. So they start abusing the Oxycontin or Percocet or whatever they were given. And the next thing you know, they're out on the street doing heroin. Mm -hmm. That was the exact same situation for me. You know, I, I, I it start it was, it was, uh, you know, it was catalyzed by a physical issue, but I had a lot of emotional issues 
that I had not addressed from my anxiety to the fact that I was bullied when I was a kid for being chubby. You know, I always had a problematic relationship with food, but I just never knew it. You know, so anyway, I was severely anorexic and I almost took my own life. Right. One night in the winter of 2011, it was a Saturday night. I came very, very close. By the grace of God, I am still here. Um, managed to stick around and live to tell the tale, thank God. Right. And I'm grateful for every day of my life. And, um, you know, I, I, my stomach disease started to get a little bit better. I went to a nutrition therapist and started to work through some of the anxiety. I started meditating. I got myself in therapy for my, for my, uh, you know, other problems that I hadn't addressed since I, you know, from the time that I was a kid. And I thought that things were getting better, but then I started having a bunch of bad relationships with women. And now it was sort of time for me to realize what my issues were in the romance department, you know, and I realized that I had codependency and I was extraordinarily needy and I had fear of abandonment. And it's, you know, it's kind of like every time you, you overcome something, I believe that, that God tests your strength by giving you another challenge. Right. So, you know, my stomach condition started to get better. Then I got anorexia. My anorexia started to get better. Then I had relationship problems, you know, and so forth and so on. And even now, you know, I'm, I'm the happiest and strongest and healthiest I've ever been, which means that I have to handle some pretty big challenges, you know, because that's the level that I've managed to get myself to. Right. So, you know, I believe that God or the universe or the cosmos, whatever you want to call it, Tiffany, will never give you anything that you cannot handle, whether it's good or bad. Right. If I you want to that. receive a blessing like a promotion or money or a relationship or whatever, and it hasn't come into your life, it's because you're not prepared to handle it. Absolutely and not if prepared. Going, mm -hmm. If you're going through a really difficult time, like a disease or a breakup or an emotional issue, and you think, oh my God, I, you know, this is going to kill me. I, I can't deal with this. You are prepared to handle it. That's why you're dealing with it. Right. Right. You know, I always, I've, I say this all the time and I've, I um, have learned more from my failures than I have my successes because my success, I go, yes. And then let's go on to the next, next, next. But my failures, I kind of, the word would be wallow in it a little bit. So it gives me the time to reflect. And I do learn so much more from my failures. But again, what you were saying, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And I tell my daughter that's 21, I tell a lot of my friends that go through through struggles and, and I go through struggles, it always gets better. Now it's going to suck perhaps, and, you know, on the way down or the, on the way to going through this, but it always gets better. It does because it may get worse before better, but don't you agree? I do. I, I always say that in the end it will be okay. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Say that again. Say that again. In the end, it will be okay. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end. That is perfect. I love that. You know, it's while you're going through something and suffering acutely, it's impossible to see the other side. And, you know, trust me, I've been to hell and back with that pain and with those problems. I, you know, I really have been. So I have so much compassion for anybody out there who's suffering from anything at the moment. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that 
you know, one thing that I learned is that the only way to get to the other side of pain is to go straight through the center. That's true. Most of the time we're trying to circumvent the pain by using sex or drugs or alcohol or by pretending that it doesn't exist or, you know, by trying to find some distraction, but it, it never works. The, the only way to get to the other side of a painful experience, you know, of a personal challenge is to bite your teeth, grin and bear it and walk right through the fire. That is how you will come out on the other side. Absolutely. Well, so tell me about your Crohn's disease. So when you were 19 and diagnosed and you went through incredible pain, how, what was your treatment? Where are you now with Crohn's disease? Well, it's, it's an autoimmune disease and it never goes away. Um, unless I don't know, maybe somebody will invent something. Let's hope so. Uh, right. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. So, you know, now I'm in what is called remission, which, uh, sort of like cancer goes into remission, which means, you know, it's still active in your body, but if you have a flare up, that's when you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that exacerbates flare ups is stress. So I have to work really, really hard on keeping my stress and anxiety low um, so that my disease doesn't get flared up and I don't end up back in the hospital. Right. Um, I do have to take a lot of medication, which you know I'm not thrilled about, but it's it's what I have to do. And um, yeah, you know, hopefully, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been, I haven't had a flare up in a while and I've been doing much better and can pretty much live my life normally. Um, you know, I have to have to do some things differently in terms of like diet and stress and I can't drink alcohol. And, you know, um, if I'm having, you know, if I'm having stomach issues one day, then it's difficult for me to do too much stuff because I don't feel well, you know, things, things like that. Exactly. Exactly. So 19 year old you take me to what your parents, how your parents handled your anxiety because you, once you got to college, you went to USC, right? Is that mm-hmm. your, your Trojan? You're the Trojan, right? <laughs> uh, you went to USC and... I went to USC twice. <laughs> Actually, that's what I did read that. Um, went to, obnoxious you, double Trojan for oh all God. my Trojan <laughs> So you went to USC and um, very, 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 very difficult university. And I know that listening to you, if you had a poor photo, you were working your tail off. And so all of this anxiety that you were going through, your parents, how did they react? Because I, I'm saying this because my parents re- reacting to certain things in my lifetime, um, eating disorder, it was like they couldn't believe it was true. Um, didn't want to believe it was true. Um, it wasn't a real thing, but obviously you, your uh, Crohn's is much different, but, but do you know what I'm taking, talking about? How did your parents work with you? You know, not to be too dark, but one of my biggest regrets in life is how I mishandled that time in my life with my family. And what I mean is that they were terrified and they were trying to intervene every which way because they saw my health declining so rapidly and they saw how depressed I was. And, you know, they, they saw that I was, you know, 
my anorexia was developing and I was losing more and more weight and refusing to eat. And, you know, I, I was away at college, so they didn't see everything. But when I would come home, they would see. And they tried to do everything they could, and I just wouldn't let them in. Um, and, you know, I, I regret it because they suffered a lot. You know, I think there's nothing more painful than watching someone you love go through something really dark and you can't do anything about it. Right. I don't know if like, you know, I don't I don't have any children, but I don't know if like your, your daughter or something has ever done something self-destructive and you're sitting there watching it and you, you know, you can't, you're trying to intervene, but she just won't let you. It's, it mm -hmm. must be very painful for you as a parent. Right. So, um, I just didn't know Tiffany. I just, I, I didn't know what was going on with me. I was very lost and very hurt and terrified and confused. And, you know, I was plan trying to play macho. I, I didn't want to be coddled. I didn't want to be babied. You know, I was trying to handle it all on my own. So they, um, they really suffered a lot because they were scared. You know, their baby son was not doing well. Um, but you know, as I got better physically, I got better emotionally. I rekindled my relationship with them. I became more open with them about what's going on with me. Um, but yeah, it was, they, they really tried. They and did. Yeah. I probably could have recovered a lot faster if I had, you know, let them in. But earlier I was using the analogy of the addict. You can drag an addict to rehab. If he or she does not want to be sober, forget about it. Right. So I, at that time, did not want help. I wanted to do it on my own. I wanted to be left alone. I didn't know how to, I had no idea what was going on with me, let alone being able to explain it to anybody else. Right. So it just, I just had to get to the place where I was willing and ready to change. You know, um, different phases of life and, and something that just resonated is you said you started this this part of the conversation with how you mishandled um, and not you regret, you know, not letting your family in. And and there's been phases of my life as well. And and you're young and 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 you know this and you're noticing this. But and I and, and I want to talk about, you know, different generations, but I wish so badly, I would have been a more mature person handling my parents, how they reacted to my issues, how I reacted to divorce when I, you know, had a divorce and how I reacted. And I'm like, I, I think about my emotional self at the time and I just cringe. And I recently had a therapist say to me, I mean, it's during COVID, I, I kind of, that's my, you know, my time frame. I'm having kind of my checkup with my therapist and she said, you know what? You have to let that young girl live. Stop putting her out. Let her live and understand and grow from that little girl or that woman or that young woman. And it was the best thing because I keep, Kevin, I don't know if you do this too, because, well, your words of, oh, I just, how I handled it, but it's growing, right? It's, it's growing. It is. And look, you know, I think that when you have when you regret something or when you look back on your previous self and you cringe at things that you used to do, there's a fine line here. Um, I don't believe in saying I have no regrets because I think that that is a really convenient way to 
absolve yourself of any guilt for any wrongdoing you have done. And I think that if you don't regret anything in your life, then you haven't really grown. Having said that, where I say it's a fine line is that you can only make decisions in your life with the information that is immediately available to you, Tiffany. So at the time in my life where I was mishandling this situation so poorly, it's what I knew how to do. Now, do I regret it? Yes, I do. And if I could go back and do it over again, would I? Absolutely. And I'm humble enough to say that. And I take responsibility for that. But at the time that I made those mistakes, that was the information I had available to me because that's the maturity level that I had emotionally. You know, I, of course, I wish that, that I had been more mature and that I had handled that situation better. But, you know, as, as you said, as I'm sorry, as, as your uh, therapist said, you know, you, you have to give that little girl or that young woman the grace and the dignity of going through their own process. Exactly. And time, it takes time and healing and, and, you know, loving yourself. I mean, I just had a guest, you know, in, in 2020 during COVID and, um, she talked about loving yourself and it took her 50 years to fall in love with herself. And I get that, right? You know, and I think at a society, my generation for sure has a tendency to beat ourselves up. Um, I think know. every generation has that. Yeah, this is true. My husband's generation is, is a, you know, giving everything that he didn't have to his, you know, like to his children, like wanting so much more for the kids. And I just lived in this beat myself up and the thought of loving myself. I mean, it, it takes someone, I mean, it really does take a lot to say that you actually love yourself. Now, some people love yourself too much, but, but I mean, honestly, I, it, 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 I thought about that and I'm like, well, I don't really like that. I do X, Y, and Z. And I don't know. Do you really love yourself, your heart, heart? And I do say, I do. I, I, I love my heart and my, you know, my soul. And what's, what's your definition of that? I mean, I'm, that's, it's beautiful to hear. But the reason that I ask is that I, you know, I'm always hearing and reading like all of this, you know, motivational content about, you know, you have to love yourself and so forth and so on. But the thing that I always want to know, and I mean, the thing that I try to, to teach my clients is what does that actually mean and how do you do it? Mm-hmm. Right. So what, what, it, what's your answer to, to that? Well, and you know, I, I had a measurement. That's got a curiosity to just learn more about you. Well, you know, I, I had a measurement in my probably twenties and thirties and I would react, um, a certain way. And then I learned through therapy and patient friends, family members, spouse, significant others, whatever the case may be, how to accept fault and to learn from it. So to me, accepting fault and learning from it, and, and I'm not, and I think fault is somewhat a negative word, but loving myself, when I look at myself, I know I'm a good person. I have a good heart and I do. I, I finally, at this point and phase of my life go, you know what? I'm a pretty cool chick. I mean, I care desperately about people and family and people I don't even know. Um, but but just because I love myself doesn't mean I am not a woman with fault. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so the kit, so generations, I was thinking about this when I was reading um, your bio and everything, you know, talk about different generations. And, and when I was looking on the internet and discovering about you, you and I, we have to tell how you found me, but um, discovering about you. And I was thinking if I was a if I was your age, I wouldn't have the internet to find Tevin. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have I wouldn't have that. Yeah. I had a big fabulous set, thanks mom and dad, of Encyclopedia Britannica and publishing, you know, print publication. And what my point is is how everything for me now, for you, my daughter, uh, my dad is right here and it's instant, it's instant gratification. It's quick and easy. And I'm just, you know, I'm I'm finding this with Instagram. Here I am, 56 year old. And my people, my 55 year old friends, the majority are not going to listen to this podcast because they don't know how to get on their phone. <laughs> or it's not on a flip phone. No, I'm kidding about that. I'm kidding everyone. But my point is three messages from your girlfriends. That's exactly, exactly right. And um but we just have inst- this world right now has instant gratif- gratification. My daughter was born with the ability to have a device in her hand. Um, do you see, I think you guys are this, this generation, millennials and now Zoomers, is that, that's what my daughter is, I think, a Zoomer. Um, it's, it, it's quick. It's fast. It's life is Life is here so quickly and there's so much at our fingertips. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily? Um, I think all things are good and bad, to put it simply. Um, I think that, you know, my, my, I think that in terms of the internet, the accessibility to things, um, you know, information is absolutely incredible. My mom always talks about how in in her day, so to speak, they used to have to go to the library, <laughs> yes. get a library card, you know, pull out this like piece of paper that said where the book was, then go search the book, you know, and then try to find the answer in a 500 page uh, encyclopedia or whatever, and then go back and return the card. And now you can do it in two seconds. You know, exactly. You want to know the answer to any question, you just ask Siri. Exactly. <laughs> so that's pretty incredible. Isn't it? Um, it is. It's 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 outstanding. I mean, I grew up with that. So I don't know any other world, you know. I mean, when I I didn't get a cell phone till I was like 14 and there was no internet on it and it was a flip phone, you know, but iPhones were invented when I was in 8th grade, 8th or ninth grade. Mhm whatever it was, 2006, 2007, something like that. So I, you, you know, it's safe to say that I grew up with that stuff. Right. So it, it's pretty much all I know. Whereas you have, you know, you've gone through many different generations of technological advances. Um, I went to the I library. <laughs> I went to the library, pulled out the card. <laughs> well, Hey, you've got a very young spirit and I would never guess that you are your age. You look amazing. Oh, you're so sweet. Keep talking. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's an uphill climb. Let me tell you. (laughs) 
you're, you're doing fantastic. Well, thank you. Well, it is. I mean, in, we are in an instant society and I'm, I'm amazed, amazed at I can sit here and you're in LA and I'm looking at you. It's just, it is, it's incredible to me. So back to the generations, I, Sorry. um, I'm wondering about, because my daughter 21, when she, um, I'm going to, we're going to go way back. We're going to go back about 25 minutes. You well, talked about having anxiety. I'm sorry. I, I want to finish your, I want to finish answering your question. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay. So I was going to say, you know, the accessibility of, of the information and everything is incredible. Uh, there is one part of the internet though, that I will bemoan momentarily that, that I, I think is pretty lamentable and, and just upsetting. And that is the fact that, you know, I use social media a lot for my business and I'm not this person who sits around and cries all day about how terrible social media is. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't particularly like it, but it's got, you know, many uses and it connected you and I, and I try to look at the positive. But one thing I will say is that these online communities and social media platforms were designed to make people more connected and to give people new ways of communicating and finding each other. But the research is in and people feel more isolated and more lonely than they ever did before social media existed. So that's a problem. Huge problem. You know, so here we have 10,001 ways to connect to each other and reach each other you know, but I can tell you just from this Zoom call, I feel lonelier talking to you on this side of the computer than I would if I was in the studio with you. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's some faulty engineering. We, we tried to engineer this world to make us more connected, but it just made us more lonely. And unfortunately, you know, the train has already left the tracks. Like it's, we can't back up now. You know, now everything is going even deeper and deeper in the direction of online connectedness. And, you know, now we're not going to work at offices anymore. We're going to work from home and so forth and so on. So that is one thing I'll say about the internet and the social media world that scares me. I'm not an expert on any of that stuff, but I am an expert on loneliness right. and social isolation. And I can tell you it's bad. It is. And it's not our, our, not our norm at, at all. You know, and you talk about working from home. Uh, we've had this conversation I, I, I had, I've had many different jobs, um, different employers. And, you know, I was in this time, time of you nine to five or eight to four or whatever, and you clock in and you go to lunch for an hour or 30 minutes, whatever your employer would allow. And, um, you know, sometimes you talk to your employer and say, Hey, can I work from home? Well, no, you have to clock in and out. And that we're going to go to a generation or uh, an, a, a corporation that their belief system is showing up, being there. Sure. Then we go to where we are now. And I was talking to my husband about this because he definitely with his company was, you know, you're there, you show up, your face is at work, you check in with your, you have a staff meeting. And I was wondering, will we go back to work? I mean, you know, are we going to do what we're doing now? And thank goodness we have this because I can meet you and talk to you. Like you said, that's the benefits. But I think people are yearning to to have connection and to touch and feel and, 
you know, I'm not talking about in the workplace, but, you know, just to have that human connection. Don't you agree? I mean, it's, it's like you said, it, you, it's lonely. Yeah, I do agree. Um, but I think it's also depends. Like, for example, there are some jobs that you do not need to be in the office for nine hours a day. Right. It's a waste of time and it's a waste of gas, you know, and being stuck in that cubicle drives people crazy. Whereas at least if they're working from home, you know, they can be more comfortable. They can get up and go to the gym. They can make their own meals instead of eating whatever pre-made crap is downstairs. So, you know, but, um, but Which I love you, know, you like, saying that that is a, that is a great point, a microwave lunch, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff is like work from home has been a huge blessing in disguise. And maybe there should be a balance, you know, work from home two days a week, work from the office three days a week, you know. Um, but as I said, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Now that everybody knows what work from home is like, um, it's going to be really hard to herd everybody back into offices, I think. But there are some office jobs and there are some office environments where you really do need to be there. And I think it's, you know, has to do with the company culture. If it's a place where people want to be, a hustling and bustling environment where they're collaborating with each other and connecting with each other and creating things, then yeah, I would certainly want to be in that environment instead of sitting in my bedroom all day. Right. So. And it creates such energy. And, you know, if you're a, you're a creative soul, if that's your career as well, I mean, can, I mean, you just bounce ideas off each other. I mean, when I come in the studio and see Paul, I mean, it's just, we're just bouncing off each other because we're too creative souls, you know, I mean, and then I'm home and I'm with my husband that has the executive mind, you know, and, and it's just I two different people. If my job didn't involve talking to people all day long and I was working from home, I would have blown my brains out by now. Right. I'm an extremely social person and, you know, I need to be with people. I love people. I get energized by people. I'm an extreme extrovert. Um, so the work from home thing has been hard for me in that sense, but my saving grace has been that all I do all day long is talk to people, you know? So if I was on the more introverted side and I had like a desk job, then, the, you know, work from home would be my dream. Right. So we're talking about work. So tell us about your business. I know you're a motivational speaker for sure. And then your client base. Tell me a little bit about what type of coaching you do and how you help people in the clients that you do help. Sure. So I work with men and women um, in their 20s and 30s. I've had a couple clients who are in their 40s as well. Um, and I've had a couple clients who were like 19 and 20. But I would say most of my clients are between 22 and 38, around 37. And I work on a select number of issues. One of them is dating and relationships. Um, the next one is anxiety and depression and, you know, related issues. The third one is body image disorders, you know, anorexia, binge and purge, just having a troubled relationship with food, even if it's not a full-blown disorder feeling uncomfortable in your body, so forth and so on. Um, and the last one, which really is the underbelly of all of these, is self-acceptance, self-respect, self-love, insecurity, your self-esteem, so forth and so on. So if somebody comes to me and they ask me to 10x their business or to guide them on the next step 
you know, of their, of their five-year plan to building their executive company or whatever, I have to send them to someone else because I've never done that. And I don't know what that's like. So I only work on issues that I have suffered from. And more importantly, I have overcome. Right. There are issues in my life that I'm working through right now. I don't counsel people on those because I'm not on the other side yet. I didn't figure it out yet. I didn't fix the problem. But the issues that I do work on are issues that I have fixed. I'm no longer depressed or anxious. I no longer have a troubled relationship with food. I have healthy, happy relationships with women now. I you know, feel extremely confident and comfortable in my own skin. And I went from one extreme you know, I was at the lowest of the low in every one of those areas, you know, and now thank God I'm doing great. So that's, these are issues that everybody deals with, but I'm working with people in my generation, you know, twenties and thirties, because I understand them the best. Right. Right. Um, Well, that is incredible. uh, You know, I, I always tell my clients, like the reason that I'm uniquely suited to help you is not only that I've been through all these things and overcome them, but because I am you. I grew up in the same generation. I understand the same pressures. You know, I've dated in the same circles, you know? So if, if I'm trying to coach you, Tiffany, there's, there's going to be some generational gap, you know, you're married, you have, you know, been through hundreds of things that I don't even know about. You know what I'm saying? Right. it's just a little bit different. Absolutely, absolutely. And with your with your business, I mean, is your business you you do everything virtually now? Correct. I mean, that's. Or were you doing that I before COVID? See, I still see some clients in person, like um, whether it's sitting socially distanced at a park or some outdoor space, or you know, their backyard, my backyard, things like that. The clients who want to do in person, but yeah, everything is otherwise. Everything is virtual including my speaking. Um, a lot of my speaking engagements that I had lined up for 2020 were canceled. So I had to teach online seminars and stuff like that. Right. Absolutely. Yes. And I've heard that a lot from a lot of different friends of mine that are coaches, life coaches or career coaches, for sure. So I, I want to take you back where we were talking about anxiety. And I do have a question for you. Um, when I was growing up as a child, and I don't know if I had anxiety, um, Um, I was a drama queen, that's for sure. But um, I don't know if I had anxiety or what. So my daughter, um, probably sixth, seventh grade, and she is totally transparent and wants to help people just like myself, especially on this this show. She was diagnosed with ADHD. And um, she was like you were saying, like I resonated with you so much. Um, She was saying, Mom, I thought I was stupid. I just... Everybody, I'd take the test. I mean, you'd sit down for a test and the bell would ring and I looked down and I was looking outside at a bird all day, you know, during the class. And I didn't know. And so it was definitely a chemical imbalance in her brain. And um, she, high school, she wasn't real serious about it. Then she went to TC, she's at TCU, has just been on the dean's list, just taken off. And it was a switch. Just a switch that just that flipped for her, um, you know. It's just like, okay, we're going to get in TC or not, you know. And we all went, and and we're huge Horn Frog fans. But she was just that whole. I, I'm just stupid. Everybody else is so smart, and then she we we determined her issue. She's doing so well. Um, 
But along the way at TCU, her freshman year, anxiety hit her. I mean, it just, it hit her. And um, to be honest with you, and it's not fair, if I, I think if I would have said this to my parents, when I, they'd say, get over it, move on, move mm-hmm. on, go get over it. I have so many of my friends, children, myself now included, my daughter, so many of her friends at college um, going through anxiety right now and are having to go through therapy, go through medication, possibly if that's the route you take. Do you think that, where, where do you think this came from? Where do you think, is it the peer pressure um, if I'm 100% honest, yes, it's peer pressure for me. I get anxious and, and, but I don't know for my 21 year old, which is closer to your age, what happened? Is it that desire and need to succeed? What is that? Do you know? Yes, I do. Um, but first of all, I will say, and this is with all due respect to your lovely parents, there's no such thing as get over it. If you have anxiety, depression, you have ADHD, you have a body image disorder, you know, whatever your diagnosis may be, for me to tell you to, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and figure it out and just get over it is the same as if you're outside freezing cold, wearing a t-shirt and I say, get over it. No, you need a sweater and you need an umbrella, right? Now, You don't want, you know, if you continue standing outside in the cold with a t-shirt and you refuse to wear a sweater or an umbrella, then yeah, you need to, you know, you need to do something to get yourself into a better situation. You follow me? But what I'm saying is sometimes, you know, when you, when you go to the doc, you go to the doctor because you trust that person to help you get better. So if you are dealing with a disorder that it, you know, showed up on your doorstep one day, it is your responsibility to figure it out and to navigate your way through it. But if you have to do that with the help of a medical professional, a therapist, a coach, medication, meditation, whatever it might be, you're not going to get through it by yourself. Just like you don't get through whatever illness you have without going to the doctor. You know what I'm saying? So there's absolutely no shame and there's absolutely no stigma you know, and, and I think that that's a generational thing, that idea of just getting over it and figuring it out. And I think it's pretty misguided, given everything that we know now. Absolutely. However, I think that a mistake that we make is when someone, for example, I have a client who has ADHD too, right? Um, like your daughter. And, you know, his whole life, he has been told that the only way he can focus is if he takes Adderall. And so every time he has to study for a test or something like that, he's hopped up on Adderall and he's terrified not to take it because then he will feel stupid, right? So if you have ADHD and you need medication, by all means, take it. But you can't rely on one thing to fix all of your problems. You know, you can't think that there's a magic pill. You know, you you can't, there, there are so many other factors of your life that need to be in order. You need to feel good intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, physically, 
and take the medication and go to therapy and do the meditation and use all of your other tools in your toolbox. There's no single fix to any one of these things. And when you rely on a single fix, you are completely abdicating responsibility for all of the other things that need to be addressed. You, 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 does this make sense? Absolutely makes sense. One thousand percent. It's not so, one. It doesn't fix one. One thing doesn't fix it all. One. One solution, right? Exactly. Exactly. Now, you know, rant over there. So, pardon, pardon my rant. <laughs> I can but, tell uh, you have experience with that for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I, I do. I do. You know, I was the guy who didn't want to take any medication when I was depressed because I thought I could do it on my own. And um, and then when I took the medication, I was so upset that it wasn't working. And I thought I needed to be on it the rest of my life because I was just focusing on that one thing, right. you know? Right. But this idea of doing it on your own or getting over it really hurts my soul. If you were drowning in the ocean and I threw you a life jacket, Tiffany, would you throw it behind your head and say, no, I'm going to do it on my own? Right. No way. Just, no. Does, you know, anyway, in terms of where the anxiety comes from in my generation, your daughter's a little younger than me, but it's a, a combination of factors. First of all, the way that our parents raised us. Um, secondly, the workplace issues where, you know, in your generation, jobs for people in their 20s were readily available. You know, by the age of 28, a guy would have a house, a great job, and three kids. You know, now guys don't even have $5,000 to their name. And, you know, I was that guy for a very long time. And that, you know, the, the lack of available jobs and opportunities and things like that gives us a lot of pressure in addition to the way that we were raised. Third, there's the social media thing and the fact that we were the first generation to grow up with this very weird virtual way of communicating and connecting with each other. Um, but the, the, the last thing is that the, you know, the research shows that for most people, they get hit with anxiety or depression between the ages of 19 and 21. And that's because at that time, your brain starts to go through a change and releases certain chemicals and kind of messes you up a little bit. I don't know why it's between 19 and 21 that that's when most people get hit with anxiety. But when you couple that with the way you were raised and all of the environmental factors, it's just a perfect breeding, breeding ground to experience this issue all of a sudden, you know, right. I was an anxious kid, but I never had panic attacks. All of a sudden I'm a freshman in college. My first semester, I'm supposed to be having the time of my life. And instead I start having panic attacks all the time. What the hell? Right. Yeah. So my brain just, it just went a little bit, you know, that, and that's what happens for most people around that age. Their brain starts to go a little haywire. And that's brain chemistry for sure. 100%. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So with the anxiety and to not make it worse, but I'm just curious, and it's interesting what you said with my generation. Yes. You graduate college, you get a job, you know, it, it you know, my daughter's considering grad school because the job market's just not there. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, is it, is that a concern right now of everyone? It sounds like it is. Oh, it's the biggest concern of everyone right now. Mm -hmm. I was talking to uh, 
a prospective client. She's not my client actually yet, but I was talking to her yesterday. We were having a consult call and she was telling me about how, you know, the last three, four years, she's been in this job that she absolutely, absolutely hates where they, they treat her, you know, like trash and her entire self-esteem is wrapped up in this one job because it's the only one that is, you know, she feels as prestigious and if she quits this job, then she'll be a loser and she, you know, it's impossible to get another job and, you know, especially in terms of COVID. So it's, it has caused us to rest our entire identity in what we do for a living, you know, supply and demand. If there's, if there's no supply, then whatever is out there seems to be so much more important. And that's how they get away with paying you these ridiculously low salaries and treating you like crap you know, all the while you work 12 to 16 hours a day thinking that this is going to matter in five years when it doesn't, you know, this, this young woman is 24. By the time she's 29, she's going to have so many things in her life. If she's smart, that are more important than this dumb job that she hates, you know? So, and I would tell, tell your daughter the same thing, you know, figure out what you want to do, figure out if you want to go to grad school and stuff like that. But the key to maturity, in, in my opinion, is not living your life according to who you are right now, but living your life according to who and where you want to be. That makes 1,000. I'm writing that down. Say that again. I think one of the keys to maturity is not living your life according to who and where you are right now, your immediate problems, your immediate circumstances, but living your life according to who and where you want to be. And want to be doesn't mean five months or a year from now. Want to be means where do I want to be five years from now? Do I want to have a family? Do I want to get married? Do I have a vision for my life? Align your goals and your actions right now with that vision. You know, otherwise we get so caught up in, I need this job and I'm going through this problem and I have to figure this money situation out. None of that stuff is going to matter in five years because you will have grown and changed so much and the world will have changed so much. You know, they say no man ever steps in the same river twice because he's a different man and it's a different river. So we get so, you know, we're, we're constantly monitoring these tiny blue dots on the radar screen of the submarine we're in. And we never look up and see the entire ocean and see all of this beautiful wildlife and, you know, see this, this gem, this wonder of the ocean that we're in. We're just looking down at the tiny little radar screen of right now. Right. And that's how we get sucked into the black hole of our problems. So, you know, I would tell your daughter and I would tell the young woman I was speaking to on the phone yesterday, you know, forget about right now. The only part of right now that matters is are your actions right now aligning with where you want to be and who you want to be? Right. Very great. That's incredible advice. And, you know, I wish I'd listened to you like 
30 years ago. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of time... I well, wasn't even in my mother's stomach at that time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, just the, the wise you, because it's, it's a uh, living and I, and I, I'm not a new year's resolution gal, but it's just, I reset and I think, okay, I'm not going to get caught up in the minutia, the flipping the minutia of the daily, you know, don't worry about it. It, but, you know, in this past year, 2020, surviving 2020, you know, creating a new business. Um, it just, it, it's, it's been, but you do get caught up in the minutia and, but, but you're wise to say, don't worry about it. Where am I going to be in five years? So, so Kevin, where are you going to be in five years? I hope to be speaking on large stages. I hope to have released my first book that I'm working on right now. Hope to have built my one-on-one -on -one coaching practice and, you know, keep doing what I'm doing on a much bigger scale and helping as much pe as many people as I possibly can. And, and I will tell you, you know, I had all these plans for 2020 and Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's <laughs> true. So none of my plans in 2020 panned out. And I learned that I wasn't following my own advice of like, forget about the minutia right now. Really? The only part of right now that matters is, are you living, are you making decisions right now according to your future? The heart feels right now, but the head sees the future, right. you know, and, and that's really, that that's how we have to make decisions. I asked a lot of my guests the same thing and uh, do, the same question. Did, did you, do you, have you found a silver lining from 2020? Oh my God, of course. Um, there are so many. I mean, one of them is the fact that we were given this break from everything, all the distractions, all of the social gatherings, all of the events. And, you know, we, we were given a time to sit and reflect with ourselves. We were forced to look at ourselves in the mirror because we don't have the usual distractions and say, is this who I want to be? And I think the people who will come out of 2020 triumphant are the ones who took the time to work on themselves and actually make progress in that area. And the people who will, will not come out on the winning side are the people who just kind of sat and threw their arms up. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was, you know, a, a big blessing. And then I think that this time also taught a lot of people what they value, you know, do they value their health? Do they value their families? Do they value slowing things down a little bit and focusing more on themselves? You know, do they value their job or do they want to make a career change? So we were forced to confront a lot of things during this year, you know, personally, professionally, emotionally. So I see a, a blessing in all of it. We did slow down and just, you know, stop to smell the roses, so to speak. And, you know, one of the things my daughter She's less than a mile from me, so I see her often at TCU, but she came back and, and has lived with, with us in our home, and um, I, I love that girl. I've met, I just, I mean, she's just such a, a, a kind soul, and I have, we were so busy raising her that I tried to teach her how to make Thanksgiving dressing, and I tried to teach her how to make chicken piccata when she was younger and, and she wasn't interested and she became so interested in 
me and I became so interested in her and we had time and her, my husband, of course, we all worked on each other and it, it, it was just, it was such a great time that when we opened back up, you're just like, but wait, I'm not finished. But, but you know, it is, it's a time of self-reflection and pride and joy and, and, uh, being proud, of course, you know, so, I love that. but I'm, I'm ready so to open cool. up, right? Let's, <laughs> let's go and yeah, speak yeah. in large, large crowds, right? For sure. Well, you don't get to talk because you're in Texas and you guys are open. Okay. This is true. You know what? I, I, I know we're guilty. 100% is charged. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's true. That's don't true. give me that because we're not even allowed to go to a coffee shop to get a cup of coffee to go over here. Wow. It's, we're yeah. suffering. <laughs> you know, I, I talked to my friend about that, that she was here in Fort Worth during COVID and went and she's from um, San Diego, actually, again, living in Sonoma. And she's like, it is, it's, it's, it is, it's just, it's not what we're supposed to be doing. You know, yeah. I want to go to the grocery store. Yeah. Right. But I'm so glad you've gotten to spend that time with, with your daughter and, you know, get to know her on a different level. Right. Know, just like friend. You know, it's, it's really beautiful. It is. It is. You know, you get past the childhood and I heard I can't be her best friend. That's one of, one of my, uh, my podcast guests, but man, it's close. So, so anyway, well, great. Well, it is wonderful talking to you. Would you please come back? Because I have several listeners, not me, several followers and listeners that want to hear all of your advice about dating and relationships. So would you come back and talk to us about that? Absolutely. I would love to. We should do an episode or a few episodes just on that. And yesterday I was on a podcast um, and uh, the host had collected like 30 questions from her listeners and, you know, just asked each each one of them. Um, and we got to touch on each topic and, and people loved it because they, you know, they're, they're people are, are, you know, don't want to hear this advice from their single friends. They want to hear it from somebody who like, you know, does this for a living. So I'm more than happy to come and help. Well, that is wonderful. I, someone asked me the other day, now, how did you and Greg meet? Because y'all seem like it's just, you know, the perfect couple, which there's never perfect, but, but I, you know, I just want to share what you know, and I've read and I've listened to your podcast before as well and, and share my information. I'm not dating though, people not happening. Not doing that at all. So, but it's great to talk to you. So please tell us all how we can find you. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is the best way. It's just my name, Kevin Nahai, N-A-H-A-I. And feel free to send me a message anytime if you have any questions. Um, and I'm always there. I also have a YouTube channel um, with some longer form videos, but my Instagram is the best way. Yes. And, and if everyone would go follow Kevin again, it's at Kevin N-A-H-A-I and you do, I'm not sure if it's daily or often, but very often you do little snippets on Instagram and it's motivational and it's educational and I just love it. I absolutely love it. So thank you for what all, all you're doing, but definitely for your generation and, and all of us, Kevin. Thank you. God bless you. And I will be on soon. Well, keep being fabulous. I appreciate you. 